From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that'll equip your team and strengthen hope. Hey there, I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. We are just a few weeks away from the 2023 Church Mental Health Summit, at least at the time that this podcast airs. And for those of you who registered for the summit, as soon as you register, I send out an automatic email asking, what are you hoping to get out of the summit? And I ask this intentionally because over the years, some of the best ideas and for topics have and talks come out of these emails. And while I can't respond to every email, the team actually opens every single submission and we read it. Then we collect those ideas and requests and reference to it when we are looking for speakers and podcast ideas. And one of the most common responses that we get from people is those are uh, are from those who are looking to learn about how their faith intersects with mental health. Or to put it uh, a different way is people want to know what does the Bible say about mental health? And I get it. As Christians, our faith sits on the foundation that the Bible is the infallible and holy word of God. And this is a guidestone for our life. And it makes complete sense that people want to know what the Bible says about our mental health, especially when at first glance it appears that there is no mention of mental health in the scripture. Now to explore this conversation, I am super excited to have Reverend Dr. Chris Adams on the podcast today. Chris is an ordained minister and clinical psychologist who has served in pastoral care and counseling roles in the church and on university campuses. He serves as professor, chaplain, and executive director of the Mental Health and the Faith Initiative at Rosemead's Graduate School of Psychology from Biola University where he also teaches pastoral care and counseling, including leadership, uh, Christian leadership formation, and psychology and Christian integration courses for several uh, seminaries, including Rosemead's. Now, what obviously I think is the most impressive on Chris's very long CV is that Chris and Rosemead are co-presenters of the Church Mental Health Summit. Of course, that's the most impressive. I'm totally kidding. But when you look up his CV, he has like a hundred different publications. I'm over-exaggerating, but there's too many to even count. And he is the lead researcher for the Flourishing in Ministry Project and is currently participating as a consultant and researcher with the Duke Clergy Health Initiative. To say the least, Chris is well positioned to talk about what the Bible says about mental health. And he also grew up as a third generation's pastor's kid, uh, growing up side by side with his family in ministry. So as a pastor's kid, growing up, what was the perspective around mental health and, and have you seen it change at all? Wow, what a great question. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think growing up as a pastor's kid and a lot of PKs might might echo this experience, um, you really do see kind of the whole gamut of um, what we now call the diagnostic and statistical manual in psychology um, is pe- people come to pet their pastor first and you're immersed in kind of the, the beauty and messiness of church life as a church family. And 
journeying together, you know, through all kinds of things that people go through or all things, kinds of things that people bring with them to church. Um, So I think the church I grew up in and my parents did a really good job of kind of being fairly aware of um, mental health kinds of issues and what emotionally healthy spirituality looked like and healthy leadership and so forth. Um, had a really phenomenal pastor, senior pastor. Uh, my dad is a worship leader, songwriter, um, music ministry type of guy. And our senior pastor was very, um, very bright, educated. And um, I grew up in a, in a evangelical holiness kind of tradition. And so there was a lot of emphasis on kind of holy living and the relationship between holiness and wholeness even, I think was at least touched on some. Um, However, I grew up in the Southeast too, and uh, there was stigma, I think, around mental health kinds of issues where you, if you went to a counselor, you didn't really tell anybody about it. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, sort of as socially acceptable as it is now, or maybe in other parts of the country. Um, Particularly if you're in ministry, you know, you had to kind of Mm. suck it up and, and tough it out and not be human. Um, there's a lot of pressure, I think around that. Um, so, so kind of mixed, you know, Mm -hmm. definitely some awareness, some, some openness to learning more about that, but also kind of keep it at arm's length as we want to primarily come at life from a, a biblical and theological perspective, um, which I still value, actually, even though I'm a psychologist, I don't want to just take a psychological theory and footnote it with scripture. We want to really start with, um, with theological assumptions mm-hmm. and biblical worldview and so forth, and, and then integrate social science into that to round out our understanding of some things and how to, how to help people. But mm-hmm. it, it sounds like it was similar to how I grew up where yes, there was an acknowledgement that mental health was a real thing and, and people did struggle and there wasn't a, a, an ignoring or maybe sweeping under the rug of those issues, but those were the issues of others, <laughs> maybe yes. not the issues yeah. of us. Right. And because we are, um, you know, overcomers and, and we have the freedom in Christ and all of these sayings that bring me back to how I grew up where they're, like you said, they're not wrong, but contextually they might, uh, it, it might not serve the same purpose as what they were intended. Yes. And, yeah. and sometimes maybe here and there, not, not in a um, excessive way, but over spiritualizing things that may have been more, mm-hmm. um, unrecognized psychological health issues, yeah. you know, just cause that's, yeah. we don't have any other way to explain it. So we just kind of, um, uh, the default is, you know, some sort of spiritual explanation, which may be the case. I kind of assume there's always spirituality involved all the time. Um, but, um, but yeah, maybe not as a sophisticated nuanced understanding as maybe we now have. Mm-hmm. And wasn't that long ago? Like this has been such a recent shift. If you think about it, I, I don't think I'm that old. I would say I'm middle aged. So we're saying we're, that's only you know twenty, thirty years ago where yes. where um, that is started happening. So this is all still really, really new for people. I, I, I yes. think this is you know some people are maybe ahead of the curve or or right on or and there's a lot of people who are still struggling with okay where does mental health align with the Bible and the biblical principles and 
you know, our faith. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think we are indebted to some of the pioneers, you know, that really were the early um, people to, to try to have that conversation and offer in some ways, my mind, practical theology or kind of practical wisdom that incorporated insights from social science, uh, you know, the early folks like uh, James Dobson or Clyde Naramore, or the folks that were on the radio in, in the U.S. early on um, that sort of took mental health issues to the masses um, through through radio primarily initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that paved the way, I think, to have more and more conversation inside and things have kind of grown from there. Yeah, for sure. So what led you then or, or provoked you to become a psychologist? What have carved that path for you? Uh, part of it is I think I've always been uh, a kind of person, even as a kid, that people just talk to. And I didn't ask them to, but um, people just Which I, share I'm stuff. laughing. People don't um, realize I'm laughing because before this conversation, we spent 20 minutes where I was oversharing to you. So <laughs> you <were not. laughs> this, is, this, this does not surprise no, me in the least that you just, comment like you know, that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, have stories. Yeah. You meet somebody on an airplane and all of a sudden, you know, way more than yes. you even want to know. Right. Um, once they hear what you do. and But even before that, I mean, people just seem to open up to me. So I, I found myself kind of drawn to pastoral care kinds of things. Um, my, my folks are very caring pastoral people. So I think I saw that modeled and then saw the need in the church and, and music ministry was the family business I grew up in and have an older sibling, older brother, who's a phenomenally talented orchestrator, producer, worship leader, writer, pianist, singer, just does it all in, in Nashville. And, um, so I was involved in music ministry, um, leading worship, singing, those kinds of things, and found that people would come up after a worship service and, and share their pain uh, in some way. So, you know, I'm, I just got divorced or I have cancer or whatever it is. And I'm like 21, 22 years old, just out of college and found myself wishing I knew more of what to say and mm. kind of longing to, to journey with people over time. Um, through those kinds of, of journeys. And, um, and then also saw a lot of need in the church for supportive pastors. And so that was really another primary motivation for me to, to go to graduate school and really study, become a psychologist who specializes in working with ministry leaders and their families and the, the unique stresses mm-hmm. there um, that they face. And so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great that you have both the lived experience of, you know, multi-generational ministry family and growing up in that as a PK and as a, you know, as well as the clinical experience. And so from, you know, everyone wants to talk to a peer or a friend who's been there or done that. You know, when I yeah, had kids, I bet. want to talk to people who've had kid, you know, you older bet. kids than I and, and stuff. So this pairing is really, really valuable and it's probably uh, influenced or helped in a lot of these areas in the flourishing ministry study, which we will get into detail later, but, um, definitely will, I'm sure it influenced kind of that track that you had. For sure. And I, I would say, um, in, in many ways, my pastoral identity, and, and I have some years in pastoral ministry in a local church mm-hmm. and as a university chaplain as well, my, my pastoral identity is more important to me than my psychologist identity, if you will. And I think that's one of the things I caused us to really resonate, Laura, as I sensed in you a similar kind of person, that your heart's for the church and supporting ministry leaders and 
there, there's expertise and you know, that we can bring to bear to help that. But the 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 undergirding um, assumption is a pastoral one. How do we help strengthen, encourage God's people, help shepherds do what they're called to do? And um, so it's fundamentally a pastoral kind of calling. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, mental health um, is intertwined in all of pastoral care and pastoral health. So that seems obvious to me, but for some people, pastoral care means something quite different. So what? how does mental health, why is it important to the church? Why is it an important aspect when you think of pastoral care? Yeah, well, I, one of the things I say, um, hear myself say to groups of pastors that I speak to a lot is the uh, the amount of preventative mental health work they're doing really cannot be quantified and they probably don't get nearly enough credit for that. Um, just by having a Christian community that you hold together and, and provides community for people and social support and purpose in life and all the kinds of things we know now increasingly from the positive psychology research help human beings flourish. Um, the church for centuries has been providing those things and even, teaching people the practices that science is now telling us help human beings flourish. Those aren't mm-hmm. really new discoveries in most cases. They're, they're centuries old, ancient Christian spiritual disciplines um, like gratitude, silence, Christian meditation, prayer, um, being a part of a community, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think it's always mattered. Um, but the, the church is also where people come to seek help and, and wholeness and healing um, and what helps people get through you know, some of the really challenging things that happen in life from trauma and loss to um, illness to all kinds of things. And people trust their pastors. That's where they go first before they will often self-refer to a Christian therapist. Even they're going to go talk to their pastor first and, that's beautiful and as it should be in many ways. And yet um, that's only one hat that pastors wear of many, many hats. And the, the challenges people are coming to pastors with, especially post COVID are, are the mental health challenges are more complex, severe, chronic, um, mm-hmm. and uh, than ever. So I think it's, it's um, need is greater than ever for churches to understand um, how do we integrate uh, a Christian worldview and, and life of faith with understanding mental health issues and, and mental illness? Um, how do we journey alongside people that have more severe chronic mental illness? Um, they certainly need treatment. They need help from a therapist, maybe from a psychiatrist and social worker. Um, but a church community can do something for people that nothing else can provide. Um, in terms of a, a community, dignity, purpose, mm-hmm. um, even accountability to um, yes, paying attention yes. to their mental health and um, yeah. and those kinds of things. So, yeah, I could go on and on, but I think the, the <laughs> importance cannot be overstated, um, particularly yeah. in, the, in the day and age in which we're living now with a mental health ep- epidemic that we're facing on the heels of the pandemic. Um, just more important than ever. Yeah. Our communities, um, like our congregations are made up by those in our community. And if our community is being impacted, 
which I think it's really important that you distinguish the difference between mental health struggles and mental illness. And because we all have mental health, whether sometimes it's poor, sometimes it's positive. Um, and so just having a greater understanding of it is so, so important because like it or not, or ready or not, or, or equipped or not, there's people within your congregation who are looking to you for support. And it's just so, yeah, it's just really crucial for, for ministry leaders to be aware. And the church is the, um, feels called and compelled and goes into uh, parts of cities, parts of the world that are underserved, uh, under-researched, underrepresented, and, and sometimes are the only support uh, that a neighborhood might have, at least initially. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, lots of pastors out there in the front lines just doing incredibly good work who, mm-hmm. who are serving in communities that don't have as much access as other communities do to, to mental health services. And so do, delivering practically helpful um, stuff to people through the church is some ways one of the most uh, important distribution systems we can have. In fact, I, I was just, um, I got asked to come to Washington DC recently and meet at a think tank thing at the department of health and human services about their faith-based partnerships um, around mental health and, and faith communities. And they were underscoring how grateful and, and I don't know that this ever gets shared anywhere, but um, regardless of whoever the president is and whatever administration is in the U S how grateful the U.S. government is because churches provide at least 25% of social services and mental health services um, in the United States, probably more than that. And without that, um, we'd really be in worse trouble than we are. And um, so, yeah, just a huge, huge Mm -hmm. gift the church is to the world and always has been. In so many ways. Yeah, in so many ways. So, so many people are concerned about staying in their lane. I hear I hear that phrase all the time. I want to stay in my lane. I don't want to I don't want to overreach what is appropriate for me to offer as far as mental health support is. And so for when I think of clergy or ministry leaders, they their their lane is biblical counsel or biblical support and talking about okay, what does the Bible say about mental health? And from the outside really the words mental health are not in the Bible. And so it can be tricky for people to figure out, okay, so what is the biblical approach or what does the Bible say about mental health? How can I offer support that's within my capacity uh, to, to encourage and to, you know, care for people. So I, uh, I have thoughts, but I have never been to seminary and I do not have all of, I looked at your CV and I was like, Oh, Okay, I'm glad we're talking to Chris today because you are hopefully, I'm, I'm sure you are, uh, the person to know. So can you share with us, what does the Bible say about mental health? Such an important question. Um, there are uh, things that certainly are implicit in the biblical narrative um, that are applicable to uh, mental health principles, um, even if we think of the grand narrative of God's creation, fall of humanity and redemption through Jesus Christ. And um, there's a lot to draw upon there in terms of theological resources that speak to any kind of human suffering um, and mental health mm-hmm. issues included. Um, there also, uh, throughout scripture in various ways, is kind of implicit psychology here and there. 
um, even in, in the teaching of, of Jesus, um, we can see that um, even in the Old Testament, when um, when they talk about the Hebrew concept of shalom and what that means in the in the full sense of that biblical understanding of that word, um, which includes wholeness, peace, not just in individuals' lives, but for the whole community and all of creation, really. Um, and uh, in the New Testament, we certainly see implicit uh, psychology in the Pauline epistles and other in the pastoral epistles and other places in scripture, implicit kind of theology of emotion here and there. Um, and so when, when we talk about integrating mental health and scripture and theology, in some ways, I wonder if that's a false bifurcation to begin with. It's more of a reintegration or looking at the uh, what are the relationships that are actually already there, implicit in scripture, um, implicit in, in theologies over the centuries. And then on the flip side, um, when you look at very psychological theories, they also have implicit ethical assumptions that are Judeo-Christian ethics um, mm -hmm. and sometimes even implicit theological assumptions. And so um, it's looking at kind of the implicit uh, um, special revelation in scripture and then the general revelation of God in both um, that, and where do those resonate? Um, it, so it's a very complex nuanced relationship. <laughs> and it, it, in some ways I, I say to students here at Rosemead who are trained to become psychologists when they ask about integration, well, what, what stream of Christianity are you talking about integrating with what branch of psychology and what theory? Mm -hmm. um, because to do it in a global sense is is very challenging. You have to really get more particular um, to, to think that through. Um, but I think scripture has a lot to say about uh, flourishing, human flourishing. And mm -hmm. um you know, one of the interesting things to me in, in the positive psychology research um, that is so fascinating to me that total secular, you know, researchers are saying um, about human happiness um, is that you can't achieve happiness by striving for happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of other things. It's a byproduct of pursuing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. One, who has more to say about that than than right. Holy Scripture and, and the church um, yeah. to, to tell us how to live um, with yeah. wisdom and how to how to experience that life abundant that Jesus talks about in Scripture. What does that mean? Uh, it doesn't mean there's an absence of suffering or trouble, mm. um, but it does mean it's possible to suffer well in a way that, that glorifies God and um, participates with God's redemptive work in the world. Mm. Now, I could be taking scripture out of context, and please, please call me out if this is not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> you will not offend me. This is what I'm here for. This is like, I feel like I'm in class right now. I'm in school. So please, teach me. Um, but when you said that, you know, when people are seeking happiness, it's not for happiness. It just reminds me, I don't know where it was in the Bible. Like I said, I'm not a theologian. But where that um, rich ruler was like, I want to inherit the kingdom of God. Like, how do I do that? Like, I just want the end result. And it was like, well, forsake everything and follow me. And he wasn't, you know, maybe not so much in a literal, but it's like, you can't strive for happiness or the end, the inheritance. Right. It's it's the process or the journey. Well, I don't know. Is that out of context? <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, 
a number of scriptures Maybe come to mind. Seek first, the, <laughs> seek first the kingdom and all these things will be yeah. added unto you. And, you know, in the U.S. anyway, um, we have life, liberty, and, and the right to pursue life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and yet, you know, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world, but also have one of the highest, if not the highest rate of depression and anxiety in the world. And so I think we've sort of proven literally money can't buy happiness. Um, mm. There are other things that have to happen here from a standpoint of values and, and, um, and faith that are what lead to authentic happiness, even the way social science is studying it nowadays. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're, the science is even pointing us back to uh, faith in yeah, many ways. It really is. And, and the I, things I, that we know help people get better who, are, who do struggle with mental illness um, are um, consistent with, with biblical principles. Yeah. I often tell people um, when they're concerned about going to therapy or receiving um, support from a therapist, whether they're Christian or not. And I said, well, to be perfectly honest, there's a lot of gold standard or mainstream therapeutic models that align and uphold scripture without even realizing it. Like this isn't some super smart guy that figured out how it works. No, he actually figured out how it works. If he just, you know, these are principles that are centuries old, um, you know, talking, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and things like that, where I was like, this is almost, you can see this in, in stories in the scripture. So no um, it's, it's not because some guy made it up, but it's because it's based on a biblical principle. That's right. Well, what what is perhaps the most curative healing factor in therapy is the relationship, yes. and the way that is a means of grace, and and how that um, you know, people experience God and uh, through that relationship, and that's deeply biblical. We're, we're mm-hmm. created in God's image, and God's inherently relational um, as the Trinity, and um, we're relational beings, and so it just makes sense then that we're. We're both wounded and healed through through relationships. Mm, so good. But I'm going to have to poke a little bit into this because the people who are listening, I'm like, that sounds really, really great. But what do I say <laughs> to the person on the other side of the phone or on the other side of the desk or in the dark corner after a service who is just desperate for hope, desperate for guidance. What is, what can, is there um, something that we can pull out of scripture? Not, and I don't mean that like pull out of context, but we can apply to, to offer hope and support for people who are struggling with their mental health. Yeah. The, the way I think of that, um, I'll start out a little more academic, forgive me and, and get practical. <laughs> as long um, as we get to practical is, eventually. <laughs> Well, one of my favorite pastoral care books talks about having a, a trifocal lens when you are interacting with people as a pastor, meaning um, a, a postmodern lens. Let's take into account this person's story, culture, background, and, and their context matters. Um, so take that into account. A modern lens, which would be um, science, what does medicine and science have to say, Um the first thing we often want to do is get people to a physician and make sure we can rule out any biologically generated um, issues that might be manifesting in some way. Um, and then the third lens of the trifocal lens is, is pre-modern, meaning let's leave room for mystery here. 
that um, there um, there is spirituality involved, and we believe that. That's scripture affirms that. Um, and how do we hold all three of those lenses in a way that um, that can attend to a person and respond to a person in a holistic way? And so the way I <clears throat> have engaged with folks over the years is let's let's make sure get you to a doctor if you haven't had a physical in a long time. Um, consider medication if that's needed. It's not always needed, but sometimes it, it is um, for a season or or even indefinitely. And let's think about um, you know having you talk with a Christian professional who's trained in how to do the talk therapy part of it. And let's also pray for you um, and think about what what are the rhythms of spiritual disciplines in your life and get you involved in, mm-hmm. in church. And what pastors are uniquely positioned to do is create kind of a web of care for people that may involve an outside therapist, psychiatrist, doctor, social worker, but also being in the church choir, going to the women's retreat, uh, being in a small group, coming to worship services. And that web of care working together over time, I've seen be incredibly transformational in people's lives um, and, and strategic meetings with the pastor. But you don't have to try to feel like you have to do everything or operate outside your scope of practice or your training. Um, but even if somebody ends up in inpatient psychiatric hospital, the pastor still has a role even in that, in my opinion. Um, so. Mm-hmm regardless of the level and, and amount of care from other places needed, the pastor still has a very unique role to remind people God is present and uh, God is with you and let's make meaning out of the suffering you're going through and and see how God wants to work in, in your life and how God wants to use this mm-hmm. and how God wants to bring healing and wholeness to you through all these different means in a holistic kind of way. Yeah. So that answer is fantastic, but could be taken in two different ways. It could be very frustrating and saying, you mean there is not something that I can tell someone that will fix or immediately relieve pain? And then the other side of this is this freedom where, oh, I am not responsible for the healing or the relieving of pain. And I think it's just a beautiful picture of saying, you know, we often want Um, immediate fixes or a right or wrong or a magic pill or a wand or have black and white thinking. And, and really it's what you're saying is it's much more nuanced than that, that contextually and, and, you know, looking at the different perspective, there's much more to it than just solving a problem in that moment. Yeah. Well, there's some research that suggests that people have been struggling with something for maybe even several years before they get up the courage to talk to a pastor about it. And even if they're referred to a therapist, they may continue to struggle for a couple more years before they actually go to therapy. So by the time they get to the mental health professional, there have been three to five years of struggle happening sometimes. Um, and in the midst of that, it, it you may only need one conversation. Some, I've seen that happen, you know, where a person came in and they were right on the cusp of kind of breakthrough on their own or right on the cusp of taking the kind of action they needed to take. And they just needed a, a little kind of nudge or a little insight um, um, and uh, comfort from the Holy Spirit uh, through a pastoral care conversation. And it was totally transforming, just one conversation. And that does happen, but that was probably because of the nature of what they were dealing with and where they were in the process before they came 
to talk to their pastor. <laughs> Other times, you know, you do the, what I recommend is four to six conversations for most pastors, kind of limit it to that, um, at least in it within any intense kind of um, mm-hmm. period of time about a particular issue. And if things don't seem to, you know, be making significant progress or, or there are deeper issues coming up that are clearly outside of, um, you know, the scope of what a pastor might talk with people about, where it's moral guidance, it's spiritual guidance, but there seem to be other things going on that need mm-hmm. other types of professionals involved um, to refer, but still still stay involved in that person's life and yeah. check back with them how's in a spiritual direction kind of way, you know, how's God using therapy in your life? How's God using medication? Mm. How are you doing it's with that? It's not passing off, but it's um, adding to. I love correct. that. Yeah, correct. I love that. That's so good. So I, I think we can say to people, there's always hope. Mm. There's always hope. And there's, there's more help than ever for mental health issues, both uh, in terms of medical help and, and therapy help. So there's always hope. Yeah, there's always hope. We want hope to be made strong. Ah. <laughs> I never even thought of that as the cheesiest plug, but we're totally leaving that in. <laughs> see what I did there? Okay. Yeah, yeah I see. I see. Yeah. I'm picking up. Uh, in the introduction, I talk about, you know, your greatest achievement, which really, in my opinion, is collaborating with the Church Mental Health Summit. You know, you have all of these amazing things you've done no in question. your life. But no question. <laughs> and so, you know, we are coming up to the Church Mental Health Summit in a couple of weeks uh, at the time that the podcast airs. And so my question to you is, um, what, like... You know, obviously we want to tell people about the summit and we'll have links and all of that, but where can people, do you have other resources where people um, are able to maybe learn more, dive deep? You mentioned you had a book, you know, are you able to share, you know, a couple of resources that where people are wanting to explore more in this area that they can get more information? Sure. So we we are um, in the process. I've I've been in the position I'm in now for about a year. So we're in the process of building out a number of resources that'll be forthcoming. Um, but what uh, where I would point people initially is uh, our new website, which is flourishinginministry.org, um, and that uh, you can find on their research summaries of the research we've done around well-being of pastors and their families. Uh, there's a free downloadable series for flourishing ministry teams where a pastoral staff could take themselves through some videos and discussion questions. Um, and then we have a flourishing ministry coaching certification and coaching network. If people want to become a coach or get a coach, um, more around the well-being and formation side of, of being a ministry leader than mm. ministry skills per se. There's lots of great coaching out there for that and it's needed. Um, we're more focusing on the well-being formation side of, of things. Um, so would point people to that and uh, uh, at least initially as, as a re- resource. And th- that comes out of a research project that's been going on over a decade with somewhere north of 20,000 pastors um, that was mm-hmm. created by a man named Dr. Matt Bloom at the University of Notre Dame and has now um, found a home here with me at Rosemead. And we're going to continue his great work. And um, and I've seen it be very helpful to to give ministry leaders language to describe their experience and validate that and then also know, okay, here, what are the practical things I can actually do 
to um, be intentional about my own rhythms in a way that helps me be sustainable in this very complex, stressful, demanding work and joyful, holy work. I mean, it's, it's kind of both at the same time. And um, so how do we help people lean into the joy and, and manage the, the very complex, enormous stress that, that really converges upon ministry leaders, in a, unlike any other role? Mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. I think when I first started out um, working in mental health, you know, I I really did think I had all things together. I was this snappy 25-year-old and, you know, the <laughs> world at, at my doorstep. And very quickly in your role as a caregiver, and I'm sure other people can, you find out that you're quite actually broken and struggling. You know, you start to see yeah. your your struggle in others and the more that you face the suffering of others you realize the impacts that that has on yourself and you also realize I can relate to those feelings or those experiences. And so while many of the people listening to this podcast are actually caring for others, we are all human. We're all sitting in this position of, you know, reflection of ourselves and and becoming, you know, more Christ-like and our own flourishing and well-being is whether we like it or not, pushes to the surface every once in a while. So um, your flourishing in ministry work is absolutely incredible. And I truly, truly hope that everyone checks that out. We'll make sure we have all of those links, those links below for sure. Well, thank you. And and it really is, you know, still in my journey, it's what does it mean to be a wounded healer to use mm-hmm. Henry Nouwen's, you know, term and um, what made me think, Laura, when I was this snappy 25-ish year old, um, I was in a season, With I was still in answers. seminary, graduate. <laughs> You know, right, totally. With um, yes. and I was talking with a, a mentor, a woman who I really respected, a psychologist and pastor, and was ask, kind of peppering her with questions about ministry stress and self care because I was in a stressful season um, myself at the time, working in a church, going to seminary, and she finally said to me, she "said Chris, you don't need more information." that's not the issue. You're an information junkie, actually. That's part of your problem. You're a grad student and think if you can just know enough, then all will be well. So you don't need to know what you should be doing to take care of yourself. You already know that. Hmm. That's not the question. The question for you is the question Jesus asked the paralytic by the pool of Bethesda. Do you really want to be well? Hmm. Oh, What's getting in the way? Do you really want to participate? If you look at that miracle and several others in the Gospels, the the instructions Jesus gives to take up your mat and follow me, stretch out your hand to the man with a withered hand, they're in the middle voice in Greek, which we don't have in English, in which the object participates in the the action. And so Jesus is, I think, inviting people to participate in their own healing. And that's kind of what she was telling me is what's what's getting in the way is the question. It's not what should you be doing. It's why aren't you doing what you know you should be doing. Mm. Um, that's that's what I find to be the case still in my journey and, and with as I talk to ministry leaders is we can learn new insights, but most of us know at least some of what we should be doing more of. It's <laughs> it's what's getting in the way that is the yeah. the deeper conversation with the Lord and with with the people we trust. Okay, well, that was a mic drop moment. Thank you for that. And, oh, 
<laughs> feeling. Yeah, no, it's so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important. We often focus on others so much and it's, it is valuable. Uh, one last question. If you can go back in time or if you could send your younger self a voicemail or an email, mm-hmm. uh, and what would you tell your younger self uh, knowing what you know today? Wow. Something like uh, God is always doing more than what you realize in the moment, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of pain caused by the church. God is always up to more than what you can see at that particular time. And God is with you in that moment, too. But, um, yeah, I think that's what I would say to myself. That's what I've learned. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Thank you for collaborating and partnering in the Church Mental Health Summit. Thank you. Um, I'm sure Thrilled this won't be, be part the last of it. time. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be the last time we connect, that's for sure. <laughs> I am so thankful for Chris for joining us on the Care Ministry podcast. Uh, and I just love his collaborative heart in this space of mental health in the church. And I'm hopeful that people are able to see how the Bible speaks to mental health and how God uh, addresses flourishing and well-being throughout the Word. If you want to know more about the Flourishing in Ministry program at Rosemead, you're definitely going to want to check that out, as well as register for the Church Mental Health Summit. Just scroll down and click the links in the show notes right below this audio. This has been such a valuable episode, and I think it's definitely one that you're going to want to share with other people. There's a lot of conversation around mental health and a lot of confusion or maybe uneasiness or not sure what the Bible says about mental health. So before you move on to your next, next task of the day, make sure you hit share and pass this episode on to someone else. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for connecting and take care.